as a race driver you always try to kill a drift as fast as you can because eventually that's what go what's going to make the car spin and that's what you don't want right so it's sort of like in your nature or in your reflexes that you always try to kill that angle welcome to the petrosexual mandate with your host hey jeffrey Let's get into the podcast because uh, I've been stalking you online now for you know a couple of days to try and work out. I know who you are, but uh, I want to see who, what everybody else or who everybody else thinks you are. Um, so I did some light stalking on you, um, and um, you know, thankfully, when I type Yannick Mettler into Google, uh, you come up. It's not some no, that's uh, good, yeah, you know, uh, computer geek or something like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but what I found out was that you, you started your career in, in karting, is that right? Right, yeah. Okay, so how does that work? Well, um, basically, you know, it sounds like the, the very typical sort of way to, to get into racing or to follow your path to become a professional driver, but that's not really how it was, actually. You know, I did it more like because I was passionate about cars and, and so was, you know, parts of my family, and uh, which is enjoyed doing something like that on a, on a hobby basis basically in the beginning and um yeah it turned out i, I was i was quite good and uh, i won a couple of races and that's how it all that's how it all started really but uh for a very long time we we didn't have the intention say as a family to to plan a professional career or something like that uh, so when, when you say like professional uh, race driver um i mean i know a lot of people you know who, who drive race cars and, and, and assume that they are uh, race drivers. But you're an actual professional race driver. What, what does that mean? Yes, I mean, it's it's not like something um, like you have an academic degree for it or, or whatever, you know. So it, it's more of like, there, there's certainly more of these guys around like you see in many eras right now that just make themselves um, look like professionals or call themselves professionals. Um certainly many examples right now or like with these online coaches or whatever you know a lot of areas where you where you can make yourself look like this so i think to actually become a professional it's a it's a very long uh, path and and uh, a lot of effort that goes into it a lot of sacrifice um and you don't just you know call yourself like that uh, from one day to the other right it's 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 a pretty long process to to get there and 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 also um, difficult to get accepted as such, you know, whether it's from the business side or or sometimes even from a family side. So you would say you spend most of your time as uh, in let's say the mindset of a, of a race driver. Yes, yes, I would say so. I mean, um, fair enough. I'm uh, I'm not a full time sort of professional driver. That I wouldn't say. Um, also, I think that's that's really you know, left to a very few lucky guys who can actually say they're doing that all the time. I think the rest of the professionals, they all have time to do something else. That's that's just because there are not that many races around. Um, but yeah, as long as it's your sort of main occupation and focus and, and as long as you can make a living from it, uh, I definitely would uh, consider it like that. And so like most people, or like, let's say like a lot of race drivers, you started out in karting and then you made the jump to single seater, which also mm -hmm. seems to be pretty, uh, let's say logical. Um, yeah. I guess. yeah, it's like the typical path, uh, one could say, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, what, like a lot of people don't understand single seaters, right? Uh, it's a completely different technique. It's a different way of driving and, and a different way of looking at it. 
Um, and obviously, I'm assuming by this age, at that age, you were probably, uh, or uh, the goal must have been, you know, like uh, I want to get into Formula One, right? That, that would be. Yeah, and that the was right a bit, way to look at it was a bit of a, a funny time in that sense, you know, because even though we were into cars, like from a family uh, standpoint, there was not really experience around like how you become a race driver or what what would be a typical, you know path uh, related to age and so I actually happened to get into formulas uh, quite late like in when I was 20 or something like that um, and so it was more like a, a basic education kind of thing you know driving formula cars is like you can imagine the the, the, the most pure driving experience Absolutely. you can get yeah. uh, you have experienced it yourself so that was more of sort like, you know, you didn't know where it could go, so you went the, the logical path, right? But uh, it turned out quite uh, quite quickly, like after one year in Formula BMW, which is nowadays Formula 4, um, on to Formula 3, it turned out quite quickly, you know, that that's not really leading somewhere for somebody like me, you know? And so I, I took a bit of a different direction from there, um, took my lessons and, uh, you know, and did a lot, uh, did many things better in, in sort of my second attempt, which then was in touring cars and uh, GT cars. Yeah. So that would be the next step, because as far as I can tell, you're like, you know, the the killer of the kind of Nürburgring, right? I mean, that's like all the stats point to that. And that would be more in the in touring car uh, concept, right? And in, endurance, right? Uh, yeah, more yeah the endurance it's um, a, a lot of the, you know, there's been a good run recently in, in let's say the past four years definitely was was really good from a results uh, point of view um, it's mainly in endurance mainly in pro-am also uh, which we have to distinguish a little bit um, but yeah that there's obviously other cracks around uh, there that have uh, specialized and have some good records but but it's fair to say I think that it was a really good run and that this uh, eventually also accelerated the career and you know, sort of brought me even further than, than I expected and, you know, uh, brought me to GT3 and, and all these kind of things. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, GT3 is now that, that kind of category that I think everybody really wants to be with, be in. And uh, two years back, you know, we, we kicked it off together in, in, in GT3 and, you know, last last season you were, uh, you, you got a seat in, uh, with, with in the Bentley, right? Yeah, uh, yeah and, correct. And also had a, quite a big success uh, as that, so... I think that's all really, really impressive. And um, what would be the next step, for example, if you had to... I mean, would you want to go more like into, I don't know, sort of LMP? Well, LMP is out now, I guess, right? But uh, is that another big sort of aspiration of yours? I mean, uh, at, at this point where I'm at now, it all it all depends really like where's, where's the professional scene going, you know? That's where you want to go. Uh, whether they stay in GT cars for the next 10 years and that sort of the highest level in you know let's say closed cars or or you know like road spec similar cars that you can achieve then uh, i would see myself there ideally uh, there's a lot of hype recently around the lmp cars as the lmdh uh, program and the manufacturers are coming back and it's all about le mans which is of course also a really nice direction to go so there's another yeah, famous I'm, yannick as well uh, which has to do with le mans right Sorry, there's another famous Yannick which has to do with Le Mans. Thomas. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. actually I was named after him. Oh, it's, uh, it's not uh, he did that uh, quite good guessing there. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah my yeah, father yeah, once yeah. told me that uh, he was inspired by Yannick Thomas. Yeah. Very good. 
okay. as if he knew. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, in the end, I, I wouldn't. I would definitely be open to do LMPs as well. I mean, driving-wise, it's it's pretty cool. It's something like between a Formula and a GT car, one could say, and I definitely wouldn't uh, wouldn't say no to that. Yeah. Um, so, looking at your sort of uh, your whole career, um, first of all, congratulations because it's it's a very impressive career. Um, Thank you very much. And um, it, what I can tell is that y you have like very very you know consistent results and stuff like that and. And also, like, a very consistent uh, hairstyle. You know, it looks like every photo that you have, um, you, you have, well, the hair, the hairstyle they have now. Uh, but um, I had, did find you in one movie, a very short part, and I'm sure you don't want to talk about it, but you had a, a mullet. Oh, yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, the mullet, right? <laughs> what do you have the mullet? What's the mullet called in German, right? Um, I think we call it the Fukuhila, no? Vorne kurz hinten lang, something like that which reminds me of sort of this new kids movie or something, which makes it even worse. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, man. I mean, we, in English, you know, we, we said the mullet never dies, but yeah. I just, I've actually never met somebody in my age group that had one. So uh, this is quite an exciting time for me. Um, we say, you know, it's, it's serious on the top and on all play on the back. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we go about it. Um, yeah, it was uh, certainly a speci special time back yeah. then. I think it was like when I was 16 or, or 17, something about that, where I had it for a while and, um, you know, I don't really see a lot of benefits in it uh, looking back, but the, the chicks back then loved it and that, <laughs> that, that was uh, that what, what, uh, what it was all about, you know. Do you think it will ever come back in fashion? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of people out here that, that are still trying, you know, they're still trying to make it work. Um, and it, it does seem like something very very swiss like a lot of swiss people seem to have opted out um you know for for the mullet itself right? i think there's just a couple of guys stuck in there like forever no they are and they, they also they decided like, like this is their hairstyle yeah. and that's it you know and for me it was more like a, a trend thing yeah which i'm got, happy they got to be over the leather vests as well and that's that i never had you never had that <laughs> no no no, no. Okay. i was more like on the sort of electro music uh kind of you know thing when, ah, when this so where came you, up where did the inspiration come from to, to get it actually uh, to be perfectly honest uh, from from party life actually you know um, with with the there was this uh, um, music style tectonic mm -hmm. coming up back then i think it was from somewhat uh, from france or something from the banlieue uh, which was a special dance uh, to electric music and these guys um, if i remember correctly they had this kind of hairstyle and that was what we loved to listen at when we went out for partying back then, you know. And uh, at the same time, you realize it was at the time of karting where it was more like a hobby, right? Because it started to get more serious afterwards. All right. So now we got to the part where, you know, we talked a little bit about you. Um, but, you know, the real reason that we set up this podcast is to find out, um, you know, what it is about the car that, you know, brings people of, of different ages together and, um, there is some uniting factor there. Um, so, what was the first car that you actually owned? Uh, the first car I I owned was a Ford Mondeo, two liter. Um, um, actually, uh, an old company car of my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically wanted to get rid of it, and it was just the time where I turned eighteen and did my driver license. So, you know, I was I was kind of begging not to throw it away to get my first car and uh, that's that's how it came together still had like the company logos and everything on it so 
I was uh, well known for going to school with that, I would say, and some other stuff. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically the, the, Mondeo, was the Mondeo just finished like its lifespan um, last year, I guess, right? After, I don't know, 20, 20 years of, of production, they, they canceled it, right? Uh, I think so. I, I think my, my dad still owns a few in, in his company. So I'm not sure when exactly that stopped. But um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really a, a car of choice or anything. It just happened to be the, the, the first car. And yeah, I had a good time in it. So All right. uh, who was your main, like, main, main influence when it came down to cars? Presumably it was your father? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, somehow this has been in, in also in the extended family. Like uh, I grew up with my cousin very closely, like a brother basically. And he was all into cars and I was all into cars. And it's just this family thing somehow um, that every, everybody's passionate about, about cars, you know, and things that go on wheels. Um, so, yeah, it, we, we started when we were really young, like t taking our, you know, um, tractors that we used to play on and and race down the the garage you know which which was sort of downhill and that's that's how it all started we started to tune them and all that kind of stuff you, you know? tune the tractors yeah <laughs> it sounds ridiculous <laughs> wow, okay. but does it make a big difference i mean if you tune the no, tractor? it was just uh visual actually you know we just felt better because we just felt faster <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> brilliant and um like uh, if I remember rightly, your cousin has a nice BMW. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, Is correct. That, uh, yeah, you also BMW guy. Yeah, to to some extent. I mean, um, certainly among the favorites. Um, and I mean, we have one here, and my second favorite car brand is right next to it, right here which behind is? us. Uh, which is Alpha. Um, I think the BMWs are obviously very well known for great engineering, uh, performance cars, and you know they have this German straightforward sort of performance feeling. Mm -hmm. And for me, the Alpha was always like uh, some a, a different approach to it. You know, maybe a bit less straightforward, a bit more Italian way, and made with a bit more of love. It's like the mullet of, of the car industry. Right? <laughs> not, no, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, the charm, you know what I mean? It's just absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Alfa Romeo has that, that you know long-lasting history and the, and the name. Um, and I knew your favorite brand is Alfa Romeo. We we talked about that, and so we brought this, um, you know, the '74 GTV 2000, which is sitting here in the studio. Um, and I brought the BMW because that was obviously the competition at the time. Um, and, you know, the, the Alfa Romeo is great. You, you know what they say, it's Alfa drivers, it's better to, you know, look good than look where you're going, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what people say, right? But uh, I've owned uh, an Alfa myself um, uh, actually some time ago. And uh, that was more like the first proper car that I owned or that I actually chose. To, to own and uh, many people were laughing at me you know why you choose an alpha you know these things are falling apart and I was like why you know I never had any issues and I kind of like it and it has this emotional thing and you know but I know it's it's these rumors are going around because I hear it all the times um, but never experienced it myself luckily I mean here here in the car barn we've got a lot of you know alpha enthusiasts and you know it's really strong in the heart and uh, a lot of a lot of people have maintained to be like a proper car guy you have to at some point in your life own an alpha 
Absolutely agree. And I'm assuming that's why they're so good looking because they will eventually break down. And if they do break down, you can sort of <laughs> sit on the side of the road and still like, you know, it's my car. It looks, Look at it. Looks it. Good. Yeah. yeah, it looks good, right? <laughs> it looks good. Um, what do you use the car for primarily, apart from racing? I mean, it all comes down like how you grow up with cars, I think. And in... in in my case, uh, I was more like a bit outside of the city where there's not really good public transport and stuff. And anyway, I don't like it. So I, I was always the car guy for sure. And and for me, it's sort of like, it's almost a bit like another living room, you know, away from home. It's like your environment that you're used to. And I like to spend time in the car, you know, and I like to sort of have my stuff in the car and get around with it. Um, so it's it's a lot of uh, a lot about independence, I think, for me. That's uh, very important to go anywhere, anytime you want, uh, to be able to do that, um, to and to have your most important things with you. Um, yeah, and then then it's also it's an emotional thing for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's I think it's actually a lot more about that than about utility. You know, cars for me is all about uh, emotion and feelings connected to it hence the hence the motorsport right 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 um, especially do you ever get a chance to have like drive an alpha on the, on a track or like a race i mean we haven't had a <laughs> we, have, we haven't had an alpha race car in a long time actually haven't we uh there's some touring cars around actually um, some tcr cars uh, i never managed to drive that but <laughs> i did uh, manage to get uh, my hands on the the newer versions the julia quadrifoglio and uh, the, the performance car sort of mm -hmm. on on a, um, a show run, really. And okay. I think it all comes back to what people say, you know. Uh, the car was, I was so happy to drive it after all because I was, uh, I was looking at it when it came out and I just liked the way they approached it again. Um, because they got back in the competition with BMW, where, where it actually right, belongs, exactly, right? right? It was a nice alternative to the, the M3 or M4 or, or whatever uh, you like. Um, which is already like a nice car and it has everything you need but then there's just this nice alternative with the Italian charm right so I was really eager to drive it but unfortunately it broke down after <laughs> after going sideways it only made like three laps and then it overheated so I think that's you know goes back to what you said yeah, yeah but I mean we're like road cars anyways on the track and I mean I've, you know I've done a fair amount of, of, of sort of driving on the racetrack or, or in a race car and I'm assuming it's the brakes that's probably the first thing that goes actually not because it had uh, this ceramic uh, performance brakes which in my opinion are, are not really <laughs> the not key, necessary yeah. uh, not really the solution to nowadays problems but uh, it wasn't actually the brakes that were uh, overheating so it was i think the differential the or something with the electronic you could just see that literally the car was version number one that came out of the factory and you know they're probably going to get rid of these things I mean, it is very Italian. You know, they sort of build something like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like, let's get out there <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then figure it out as, yeah, as, it, as we go along. It's right? fine the way it is. I mean, I love the Italians. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, if you spend so much time as, as you do in, 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 in the car, um, there must be something that's, that, that a car has carried forward, like a feature that the car has that's terribly annoying. Or, or let's say unnecessary. I mean, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. So, uh, but absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my, my number one is, uh, I just had it on the way here, actually, again. I think that would be steering assist. Uh, I just don't get it. 
what it is with the steering assisted and to make things worse it's always engaged by default right so you cannot actually switch it off every time you start the car again it starts to interfere with your steering which i don't like so that that's like one of these annoying things uh these days and so your your daily driver is golf at the moment right yeah right uh, golf eight eight market okay and the, the yeah because i have this in the bmw in the new bmw as well where you know the steering just kind of gets in your way and you know eventually the car you get to construction site and the car doesn't want to be on the particular construction site and decides you know let's take you off the highway or whatever stupid it does it's very it's terribly annoying absolutely it's terribly annoying. i i just wonder when you ever need that you know you shouldn't be that distracted for this to interfere well you have to you have know? both hands on the steering wheel for it to actually work yeah <laughs> I, I mean we can have a long rant about it but <laughs> in the end uh, once it interferes it starts beeping and warning and all sorts of crazy stuff like you get more uh yeah, you actually get more out of your concept by all the alarms and stuff you know than then it just helped so yeah. because i find the most annoying thing in, in cars just in general is is the beeping as if it, if you know, as mm. if the car is, isn't aware of what I'm doing, you know, it just beeps at you, and you know, you've left the keys inside the car. I'm aware, you know, like I literally just did that, or uh, you know, you haven't got your seatbelt on, and I'm not sure why it actually does this. And um, absolutely, I mean, I can't, I can't reverse anymore with the door open. You know, it's something I used to do a lot when I when I park sideways to to look for the rims you know oh, not yeah, to scratch yeah. them yeah, yeah, yeah and just to double check because now, now it snaps into parking presumably. right it, it goes into a handbrake and then it <laughs> makes like a full stop you know and it beeps everywhere and says like you're not allowed to drive with the open door okay i got it i mean electronic yeah. handbrakes surely must be another terribly annoying thing as, absolutely because um, we're not from that generation um, <laughs> no <laughs> no, we, no. Had, we had that and you know and again um it's it's, it is one of those things like you grow up and like you have to pull the handbrake you know like you have to impress people with your skill and you can't do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it, it takes away a lot of driving fun after all you know yeah. it's not like you use it every day but you know it's the nice field of snow and stuff of course yeah. you want to use it you know it's like why not and then with the electric stuff it doesn't work anymore well how about on the road car is there, is there like any features that you really think this is completely you know unnecessary for for racing on a, on a race car you mean yeah on like a modern race car yeah i mean it it also goes into that direction obviously of you know because the cars get the performance is going higher and higher you have more torque and everything is more sharp basically um it sort of goes into the direction of compensating to that with more electronics right with more electronic ads so it is something that is quite efficient in a performance way but it takes also a lot away from you know drivability and actually the skills needed to drive a car on the limit right you can mention things like abs traction control even some sort of esp but they, they work slightly different to like the road cars don't they yeah they're, they're much better I mean, the road yeah. car ones are pretty much set up for safety and I don't know. Um, I, I think it's just a more expensive, a more advanced version of the road car systems. You know, okay. it doesn't go. Uh, it doesn't go on costs of safety, but it's more like uh, it's just better. You know, it's just working in a, in a much more efficient way because it and, needs and you to are faster actually. Yeah, with, with a lot yeah. of them. Because before exactly. it, there was a point where you know you switched off the you know stability controller or you know the ESP and you were somehow faster. But it seems unlikely that. 
with huh? these maybe it's the type of car that that, that that it belongs to right that, that that's a very interesting topic because if you take for example the some of the porsche uh, cars like the cayman they have such good electronics that actually you're not faster anymore by switching them off you know the cayman's that you mean the gt4 yeah right? okay which makes it a bit ridiculous sometimes you know uh, because it it's good to to start learning and to have it sort of like as a backup system and stuff but if you always ever get used to driving with these driving ads, what happens if you go to a proper race car, you know, that yeah. doesn't have this thing? I think, I think that's the wrong way in terms of uh, education. You know, it's better I mean, we, to we have a spin in a slow car than in a fast car, right? Right. I mean, we talked about that once before. Porsche drivers have this syndrome, don't they? <laughs> Where they, um, I mean, the car, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not a fan, but it's, it's, it's a good setup and... But you have sort of the Porsche Cup where all the electronics have been uh, deleted, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. immediately you realize how much, you know, that assisting really, you know, benefits the, the driver himself, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a funny one, uh, that, that particular example, because you go from, like I said, the Cayman, which has even, I think, automatic gearbox. I mean, who needs that in a race car, right? It's just, it just shouldn't be there. Um, and then you, the, your next step is the Porsche Cup, which has none, none of the ads. You know, it has neither ABS nor traction control, nothing. So that's a and very the crazy in the wrong step. place in the 911, isn't it? That as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, the Cayman, like that's you know that's that sort of mid-mounted. And I drove one on the racetrack in, in Escari, and the, the balance was was perfect, right? It, it's a really well set up car. But the 911, I guess, with the philosophy that they use for building it. The engines in the back, and it does upset the, um, you know, the, the, the dynamic of, of what it is. So, absolutely. I mean, from from the general concept, and I, I keep telling that to to Porsche drivers, you know, because they're they don't want to hear it. Absolutely, really convinced uh, from it, and, and they're great, uh, greatly engineered cars. Um, but but the main concept of the 911 is wrong. You know, it's just a very very good workaround to make it work. With, it's incredible. Yeah, it's with, totally with all incredible. the effort they do, and uh, it's actually astonishing what what they can get out of it. But the main concept is not a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. Except if it's wet and you need a lot of traction, you know, then it might be the the right choice. True then. Um, so we've been through now the you know the things that are unnecessary when it comes down to cars, but. There has been a lot of developments, you know, like really positive developments. Uh, let's start with the road cars. What would you say is like one of the best developments or most notable uh, developments that we've had in, in road cars over the years? Hmm. I would probably say like an overall concept, maybe safety, safety-wise. That for me is like, it's not so exciting, but it's probably the biggest steps that's, that have made have been made uh, but is that a good uh, development though because i always found that to some extent because people don't really pay attention anymore do they mm -hmm. right they that's think the right thing. if i crash the car it'll be fine you know so like i'll just you know go on facebook and or go on twitter and you know send some kind of message. i mean it comes, comes back to this uh, steering ad no i mean why do you need it because you get distracted it should be but the way not, that you don't get this, distracted but the steering ad's not necessarily a safety feature right uh, they say that's why it's in per, per default <laughs> okay. but I find a lot of these you know sort of safety features um, you know they, they sort of make people less responsive especially like pedestrians you know especially mm -hmm. like here mm -hmm. I think they look at the new cars and they think this isn't as dangerous you know so I don't really have to check the road both ways before crossing it yeah, and if I get hit I'll be fine right 
Whereas, you know, if you go in the old cars, there is a real sense of, of uh, responsibility, you know, when you take the wheel and... Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and, and it, it is, you know, you, you, you do get a bit scared because you think if something does hit you, I mean, they're pretty sturdy, but, I mean, the new cars are incredibly heavy as well. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's definitely a trade-off there, I think, as well, and especially, like, you know, us two were maybe a bit more old school in, in, in that sense, and I, I fully agree on that, that there's there's certainly a balance, like, especially when it comes to race cars also, um, that you appreciate uh, feeling safe because, you know, it's not about the, the daily thing that might happen. It's it's if you have a big shunt, right, and then you're... you're you have quite a good feeling if you have a safety cell around you and that kind of stuff. Mm. It doesn't need to have ESP and, and all that kind of things, but if the general structure of a car, I would say, right. you know, or for example, the airbag, you know, it's a great invention. And I think uh, that's something that doesn't necessarily make you feel safer at first, but once you need it, it definitely does. I mean, you don't have airbags in a race car. No, but that's more on the road cars. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, okay, okay. No, because, I mean, that's it. I mean, on, on the race cars, like, and you know it. Like, you have to sign, you know, these waivers all the time saying, you know, you might, you know, end up in a wheelchair or you might die. Um, and so, I mean, the, but that's pretty much as, as far as that really can go in terms of safety, right? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think, you know, it has come to a point where, it's really good to safety you know obviously they're always trying to improve it and that's a great thing but again i think we're now in an area where you know it it, it just comes down to less less important issues maybe you know i mean the overall the tracks are really safe the cars are really safe um and so i still you know when i go from a race car to a road car sometimes after a race weekend and i drive home I don't feel safe the first few kilometers, you know, because in you're used, car. yeah, because okay. you're used to the six-point harness and you know, like your side impact seat construction and all this thing, where you feel really safe, you know, even though you're going a lot faster, um, and then you go into your row car and you just have like this, you know, three-point belt kind of thing, and you realize there's basically nothing next to you. But would you have like a six-point harness in your road car? No, that, that, that no, would no, get no. quite annoying. No, guess, no, you know, right? Get, yeah, like, parking ticket. That reminds me of these tuner boys, you know. That, <laughs> that which is actually worse, right? If you if you have a six point harness without a hands device, right. which is the thingy that would uh, support your helmet in, right, in, right. in case, then you make things actually worse. In case of an impact, right? Yeah, it was a yeah, yeah dead shunt, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the best developments I've found recently is actually is more on the tire side. I think it's incredible what they're doing, um, and you know. Like my parents had cars from the 90s, these sort of high performance things, and the big limiting factor was always the tire, right? Absolutely. And and now you see, you know, like also, you know, with SUVs, it's incredible. You see these three ton, you know, mammoths like prowling down the road, and you think, how can they do that? And yeah. th that the tires are still somehow attached, I find absolutely incredible. Definitely agree on that. And then, I mean, it, it, it goes on, you know, like engines, for example what happened on the engine side in terms of you know power versus uh volume well this is brilliant because behind us is a bmw 2002 turbo right uh -huh. and so at the time they used turbo for like you know boosting the power like that's you know how it is in my head whereas now they use turbocharging to reduce fuel consumption yeah both i mean obviously you get more 
power out of it uh, from a smaller engine. So eventually you get more efficient I- if the turbo regulation sort of works in a smooth way. Right. And like the Golf I'm, I'm driving now is like a one liter three cylinder turbo, you know? And it's, it's quite amazing how much torque it can generate from this small engine, you know? I didn't really expect it to be such a small engine until I checked the papers. So I always thought it was more like a go- uh, like a golf, um, like um, uh, a gearbox thing, right? More also, than more yeah. than sort of, and like the gearboxes are incredible that they've developed. You know, that they Absolutely. can put out these levels of torque. Um, also, you know, some of the diesel cars is incredible how much torque they pull out. But for me, they don't have the same sort of uh, you know way of transmitting power than they used to have, and a lot has to come down to actually weight and and the gearbox itself, right? Yeah, I mean, also the whole drivetrains, you know, if you, you can you can go on with the, with that whole thing. Uh, these DSG uh, gearboxes, for example, it's it's amazing how smooth and how fast they are. There's Meanwhile, no gap. You know, yeah. Because, <laughs> because know it used to be no this gap. automatic feeling where you had like this huge delay and this was just annoying the moment you wanted to shift to the next gear. It was just doing the last one, that kind of thing. Uh, and now it's just you know it's almost seamless torque and it's it's that's actually nice to drive you know in in a sense for me uh, would be interesting to uh, hear your opinion on that but for me it's always this trade-off between it's impressive modern technology versus driving fun right i I think a lot of the the modern uh, developments like especially engine wise that you don't have a turbo hole anymore I think it takes some fun away on, on the driving side, you know? It's too clean. It's too I, I clean totally, to drive. I totally agree. I mean, again, the, the BMW that's here, um, you have that sort of old-school turbo lag, right? Which means you end up driving completely different, right? Um, and it is unbelievably fast, but if you're in the wrong rev range, um, you're not going anywhere, basically. So it becomes quite tricky to drive on on um, on windy roads and things like that. But it gives, like, a real sense of occasion, right? Um, and now, of course, you have all this sort of you know, bi-turbo and tri-whatever, quad-turbo charging in cars, and, you know, um, and so you don't have that gap anymore, uh, you know, the, of this kind of power gap. And now, with, you know, the introduction of electrics is getting less. But does it do anything for a road car? I'm not, I'm not convinced, to be no, honest. No, I always uh, used to say I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, computer cars. You know, once it gets too... I need that sort of feeling. I need this mechanical sense in a car, you know, whether it's a gearbox. That's why I also like H pattern gearbox still mm. and in sort of like the old school thing, like a clutch that has an actual biting point and not this, you know, linear kind of pedal, which I really struggle with. You know, it takes so much emotion away from the cars. And obviously when you get back to an old timer or, or a, a car, even from the 2000s, that's like still the proper mechanical stuff. Mm. No, I totally agree. Um, and when it comes when it comes to um, when it comes to like the gearboxes, right? Um, I, I still prefer a manual. I mean, so many people complain. They're like, "Oh my god, you know, my my leg is dying because I'm stuck in traffic." I mean, I mean it's not that big a deal, you know. It's not uh, like man up. you know we're sitting in <laughs> Calcutta or you know Los, Los Angeles or something like that. Um, it, it's just it's not that big a deal. But what I did realize is, you know, the new cars have unbelievable, unbelievable, like unrealistic amount of power. And I think that's where the, I'm not going to lie, the, the, the manual gearbox starts to, it's just too much, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just too much. You got like a car with over 600 horsepower, three pedals, and now they keep adding gears, right? So now you got an H-box with, you know, seven gears. I mean, 
it's quite a lot to think about, right? And um, yeah, and also <coughs> in terms of handling, if you if you do it wrong with the manual sort of gearbox with mm -hmm. that amount of power, can go can go row faster, right? That mm -hmm. that would basically lead us to the the launch control thing, right? Which we well, had launch recently. Control. I'm glad you said launch control because I think launch control is the most like pointless thing like ever developed. <laughs> I just I don't see the, the necessity to have a road car um, that does that. Whereas before, if you push the brake and the accelerator at the same time, you know you did a you did like a, a burnout. You know that was much more exciting than true. You know sitting yeah. in a traffic light with engine revving and, and you know <laughs> three second waiting times and everybody looks at you like you're an idiot. You know I never had so. a car to do that unfortunately, but actually yeah you you're right that would that would be one of the upside for sure. I mean I've owned a number of cars that had like launch control built in. I think I've I've tried to activate them at some point and. Again, you have to push all these buttons and, you know, wait for it. And you're just like, I could have just driven off by now. You know, like I would have been equally as fast as, as, if, I would, <laughs> as if I really would have used the launch control, right? Yeah, I mean, the whole launch control thing, it's not really a use for it, right? But it's, it's for boys to play, really. I mean, it's just to, to rev it up as quickly as you can and to, to go away from zero to 100 as quickly as you can. I, I personally find it funny, you know, but... Um, I agree there's not really a use for it. Yeah. And it, and it's always like in an optimal situation. You know, it's always like in a sunny thing with like, you know, not too aggressive tarmac um or no water on the floor, you know. <laughs> But of course, you know, now you, now now they combine it with um 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 you know, the sort of new four-wheel drive systems, which is another great mm -hmm. development I have to say uh from the cars. Which makes, I mean, especially living here in Switzerland, like having an all-wheel an all-wheel drive car, um, you know, does simplify things uh, substantially, right? Um, but to, you know, and then you you couple that with like launch control and DSG, and it's like, uh, I mean, what what yes. cars can really compete? You know, yeah, it's, it's so you get into, nice. you get into these these some of these classic cars, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean. <laughs> They don't move. <laughs> They I mean, barely uh, move anymore, right? I, I always think it's funny when it comes to all-wheel drive. There's a bit of a misconception, you know. I think a lot of people think all-wheel drive cars are safer. You know, I, I, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know. Why is it supposed to be safer? The only difference is it, it has more traction. But, you know, it doesn't break any better or it doesn't... Uh, avoid anything any better if in terms of reaction you know so it's this misconception i i always thought that you know all-wheel drive is much safer until i did an all-wheel drive drift and then i realized how dangerous this actually <laughs> was because if you if you do get all tires like you know lit up by this point you're probably going way too fast for the limits of the car and then it's just it's unattainable right you can't you don't come back from that you just end up in a wall or in a forest or you know your neighbor's garden or something like that right um, so, but I, I totally agree. It's on a sort of everyday basis, you know, if you have snow and stuff like that, you're, you're just a bit more comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Um, but again, you have this sort of with, uh, you know, ESP, right? I mean, mm -hmm. ESP is set up uh, in a way that you crash facing forwards, right? Because that's where the crumple zone is. Mm -hmm. um, so, but again, you know, most people think it's much, much safer. But at that level of intrusion, then probably it's not quite as safe as people think it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the whole ESP thing, like like recently I, I did a snow, snow driving course with, with the Golf. And one of the annoying things, of course, is you cannot switch it off anymore. 
Yeah, so you cannot switch it off completely, which was super annoying because that's what I wanted in the end. But at the same time, I realized it was quite frozen and it was this sort of ice rally course. And, you know, I realized at some point it's really good. The ESP is like crazy good, you know, and, and you could actually use it to your advantage around this ice course. So once you got rid of the part that it annoys you, you were actually, I was actually amazed by how good it was and how you could uh, basically trick the car, go around the corner with the help of it. And I said, there's always like this, this thing, you know, but in the end it comes down to the less electronic interference, the more I like a car. That, that's definitely the case. I mean, I know a lot of, uh, you know, circuit drivers struggle with, uh, with drifts and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know guilty, this for a fact. Guilty of that, yeah. a lot of A lot of them struggle with, you know, with drifts and stuff. Do you, do you suffer from that as well or you're quite in tune with that? I, I worked on it, uh, let's say, um, because yes, basically, maybe to explain that in a, in, in a context, uh, as a race driver, you always try to kill a drift as fast as you can because eventually that's what go, what's going to make the car spin and that's what you don't want right so it's sort of like in your nature or in your reflexes that you always try to kill that angle uh, with, with fast reaction and that's something where we we do really struggle like the road car race drivers um, because you just need to let go and it's a different discipline you know and to get that in your head is, is can be quite tricky and you know, I, it happened that I once took a, a BMW M3 out for, for that purpose on the track and I didn't manage to do one nice drift and I was so annoyed, you know, it really put me down. And and uh, from that day on, I said like, come on, you know, we got to work on this a little bit and, and I did and that's why I do also this sort of ice driving stuff and you don't learn a lot with the ESP, but <laughs> in the end, I think... Uh, you know, from the the courses I did so far, I, I improved a bit, and you just have to get it in your head that it's a different approach. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done a few like ice driving courses, and they were, um, you know, they were very, they were brilliant. You know, so you you learn to sort of um, control a car that's out of control, right? Um, and I think that that's a great concept. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see a lot of a lot of sort of circuit drivers really struggling. Um, you know, with with the concept itself, because like you said, he, the first thing you want to do is just like stop that drift immediately, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, maybe yeah. you can uh, tell a bit from from your experiences. Also, I mean, I I saw your first steps in a race car, and uh, maybe you can explain a bit how it feels once once such a thing actually goes sideways. You know, like what, what's the so with this sort of ice driving thing, it it, it just became natural, and it was something I picked up very quickly. Um, and my instructor at the time, he, um, he's a, a professional uh, a race driver for, for circuit. And he, he said to me, you know, like, let's get on the, on the track, right? And I was like, okay, you know, let's just jump on the track and, and, and have fun. And probably about after half an hour, I realized, like, this is the last thing I want to do. Like, it was, it was a completely different driving experience. And um, it, it was just, again, the complete opposite of what I originally expected it to be, right? So... Um, it was just a different philosophy, you know, um, because, like you said, you know, circuit driving is, is really about precision and um, and somehow, you know, if, if you take that sort of more like the kind of rally car that you would be using for, for this um, for the snow drifts and stuff, um, it, it's more, you can, you have a lot more flexibility, you know what I mean? Like you can counteract certain things with, 
you mm-hmm. know, putting your foot yeah. down and yeah. and and uh, and get the car back into control. Whereas on the circuit, yeah. that simply doesn't happen, yeah. right? The biggest mistake I made on the on the racetrack is is thinking that I should go much faster, mm-hmm. right? And I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people make that because you do coaching. Yes, yeah. you do yeah. a lot of coaching. I'm assuming a lot of people make that mistake where they just they want to go as fast as possible where it's just i mean just break exceeds. later and later and later but it doesn't really make you faster. well it doesn't yeah or you yeah. know just try and get your foot constantly on the gas yeah. which simply doesn't make you go yeah. any faster exactly right? um, because it overrides the i mean the, the car simply cannot handle that right yeah whereas i found with with these sort of more rally rally cars if you get it out of control you can be a bit more aggressive and bring it back into the right place but on the circuit that's simply not possible Definitely agree. Yeah, I mean the the range is just just a lot smaller on on the racetrack. You know, that's mm-hmm. also that goes back to why you try to kill a, a sideways moment mm-hmm. uh, as quickly as you can because you just don't have the space and the sort of the the area to play in uh, mm-hmm. with. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you have those crazy short steering racks as well, mm-hmm. which turn like a millimeter or whatever yeah. it is, right? <laughs> and um, I mean, I don't know. They, they, that's just not that's not going to happen for, for yeah for like drifting yeah exactly yeah know? like full that's lock is, is mostly not enough it's too late then yeah. No, no. yeah i remember you know the, the, in the gt3 in the wet you eventually get some kind of slips but you you can't be nearly as aggressive because mm. they're, they're just not made yeah for that kind yeah, of thing exactly. right yeah that that uh, that brings up uh, something you know like many many people i think have in their mind that you that you just jump in a car I drive around the circuit uh, and you know you're good at late braking and bam you're a race driver right maybe maybe you can tell a bit more about, I, I about mean, how I'm, that I'm goes guilt, i'm totally guilty of that you know like i jumped in a race car i was like i mean how hard can it be you know just keep you know keep going as fast as possible of course you get to the first corner and you do a tremendous slide you know and you're like okay this is uh, not really how it goes um and it's it's so confined and it's super hot in there And, you know, on the first time you spin like three, four times on a racetrack with, I don't know, 25 other cars. Yeah, probably about after half an hour, I was like, I'm never doing this shit again. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to see a race car. You know, I want to, I went out of the helmet and the overall, and it's, it's just all very confining. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, slowly, you know, after time you, you pick up and you see exactly where, you know, you've made your own mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then it starts to become fun. But honestly, at the beginning... Um, and like I see you as if you're if you're coaching somebody like the chances that I would want to sit in a, in a car with somebody on a track um, who I don't really know like that part <laughs> that's that's not that's done for me so you know a lot of respect to you for doing that but that must also be really unusual right uh, it is it is definitely but I mean it's it's like with everything you know you you get you get probably a few scary moments uh, in your sort of sort of learning phase after a while you get the experience to judge people pretty quickly on the way they behave and even before they do their first meters in the car you know i can already tell sometimes like hmm, here i gotta be a bit more careful or and then it really comes down to what i also had to learn the hard way that if you feel like this is not gonna work you have to stop it immediately you know you have to go back to the pits and even if it's very unpolite you have to say like sorry mate but you know we go to the pits right straight away Because sort of your gut feeling is like the the best insurance you have. If if it doesn't feel right, if you don't feel comfortable, there's a reason for it, right? And so yeah, it, I was once too polite, and it ended in the wall. So that that was my learning, basically. I mean, you do a lot of training on on, on simulators now as well, which I guess 
that, that makes quite a significant difference, right? That's uh, certainly a lot more comfortable in that sense. <laughs> so you don't have to risk your your own life after all for, for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the whole simulator thing has become really popular for a good reason. Uh, the whole uh, technology behind it and the way it's improved in the past years is amazing. And I use it as a training tool myself as well. So it, uh, yeah, it just it keeps you from traveling around Europe all the time just for a test day um, can make things a lot more efficient the one thing I saw immediately when we ran the sort of uh, the, the data afterwards um, I think it was much easier on, on the on the sort of simulators you know you have a quiet environment and you know trying to explain people it is a systematic process you know like you have to obey the rules of you know Physics, essentially, yeah, like of, yeah. of race physics, um, and then afterwards you can build upon that. But if you don't have the essentials, um, it's never going to happen, right? And and one of the key one of the key things I always looked at was was like braking, mm -hmm. you know, like how people mm -hmm. are applying the brakes and whatever have you, because again, it's a completely different uh, you know process to to drive. I mean, if you did that in a road car, I mean, your passenger would go through the through the window, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody yes. wants nobody wants yeah. it at a red light, you know, that dead halt and yeah. you know all your organs are messed up. Um and so yeah, when you see that very often in um you know on the simulator on the data, you know, this sort of smoothen braking curves. Mm -hmm. Um and it, it this is something that you simply have to know before you get onto track, I think. And that that that, that was a big a big thing that a really great thing that I saw was when it came down to the simulators was that yeah. you can really get people into that kind of group because nobody told me right yeah ab absolutely and I mean breaking itself uh, is a science you know and in the end that makes the difference between a really good driver and an average driver because it all comes down to the details and the braking because it's the first thing you do going into a corner if that goes wrong everything else won't work so well, I learned the hard way because I was on the racetrack you know and you spin a few times of course you go into the um, you know, back to the box. And I had a, you know, my first engineer was an Italian guy and he looked at the data and he pointed at it and he goes, these, uh, no. That's a good way to educate. He's like, this no. one, no, you're not, you don't, you can't do that. Um, so you, I learned quite quickly, but it is a bit of a stressy environment, you know, because you, you, it's all new at the end of the day. Yeah. So I guess this would be quite a good tool to, um, yeah, to make that, uh, for sure, properly, yeah. for sure, and I think you can also on the sim, especially you can train a lot more relaxed, right? Because nothing is going to happen eventually. You can do mistakes and sort of trial and error, uh, try things and try get a feeling for it. W what's difficult, though, I think, is uh, the perception of speed, you know, like the, the the actual feeling for the speed. I think that's always very tricky. Yeah, I mean, the, the perfect example was like Paul Ricard when you have the long straight, you know. You go down here on the on the simulators is, is kind of nothing, you know. You get to the end corner, you know, the big right hand. Yeah, and you think, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then you do this in real life, and you think, okay, holy shit, this, you know, this thing is <laughs> it's, it's a bit more than I anticipated. Yeah. Right? And and simply because you don't have that feeling for, you you think they'll ever have a fix for that? I mean, the VR goggles or or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's coming. You know, obviously it's uh, it's a bit software dependent also, um, and on the one we use uh, here in, in in the academy, for example, uh, it's not the greatest solution in terms of how you how you feel the speed, um, immersion we call it. Um, but certainly there's there's new softwares coming where where this is better, and especially with the VR goggles, you it's almost got 
going to a point where you can't really distinguish anymore between reality and, and you know, virtual driving. I, I, I caught myself like the first time I tried it when I spun, I was actually, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> getting ready for the impact, you know, oh, and I was like, are yeah, you idiot? This is not, nothing is going to happen. But my brain was sort of sort of confused. Was there, yeah. That's how, how real it, it's going to be in, once these things are ready for a good resolution. Well, and I guess you just have to turn the heating up, you know, and then you have yeah. full simulation, right? <laughs> somebody's blowing you up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, no, cool. Well, can I ask you about NASCAR? Because this is European. I mean, this is good. This, this should be interesting. Tell me about NASCAR. Not, not a lot of uh, points where I touch with it, really. I mean, um, I used to play it on the PlayStation. That's probably the closest I, I got to it. Like PlayStation 1 it was. so Like driving around in a circle. Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, it seems uh, quite ridiculous. But, you know, there's something about oval racing. People, it's also this misconception of, you know, the guys just driving in circles, like in actual circles. Um, but driving in an oval. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's more like a circle than a traditional track, right? So I think it's it's pretty tricky, you know, and I've never done it. I would love to. But uh, from what I heard from some friends who, who tried it or like in an indie car or indie light, which is insanely fast, uh, needs quite a lot more. Uh, sorry to do that of, than drive a on a traditional technique. track. So because if you lose it there, poo, yeah, you know, yeah. the rear gets like super light. Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. and you you have to go to the wall in a certain angle and whatever. I, I think it's the same, like you said, just with the simulator. You know, on the sim, it all seems fine, and then you get to the actual speed, and you're like, oh, holy, you know, it's a bit more behind it. Because here in, in Switzerland, there is like there are people who have like you know. What are they called? NASCARs? No, stock cars, I guess. In, in Switzerland? Yeah, and they, but they drive them on, on actual circuits and so not like on the... Because we, we don't do oval racing here, right? No, we yeah. don't do any racing. We don't do any racing here. Yeah, no, so absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, why, is, why isn't racing allowed in Switzerland? Um, I, have, um, I have researched a bit some time ago when it was all about, um, you know, deleting that law, basically, or trying to get rid of it. I think it was in 1955 where there was a, an ugly accident in Le Mans, which back so not then even in Switzerland. So no, 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 no. <laughs> but back then it was really this time where you know cars went up in flames all the time, and it, that particular accident it killed a lot of spectators. That was like the main concern, and I completely understand it back then, you know. But it sort of just never, the, we just never caught up with that. Now it's a very safe sport and. It, it's uh, it's just uh, like it's too it's too old this law. It's there's no reason for it to be there anymore. And because I mean, hill climb is still allowed here, right? So you still have like yeah, hill climb yeah, events, that, which is yeah, I mean that's even more dangerous, right? It gets more and more ridiculous the the more you look at it, right? Uh, karting races up to 125 um, engines is allowed. Um, hill climb is allowed, which is sort of a tradition, but of course much more dangerous than road driving, uh, road circuit driving. And uh, yeah, I mean, even we had a Formula E race just a while ago, you know, like two years in the middle of Zurich. That doesn't didn't seem to bother anybody, you know, because it was electric cars and uh, a lot of people complained. People just wanted it. <laughs> a lot of people complained because it took a long time to set that up here, and we all thought it was quite a good thing until we realized it had nothing to do with anybody in the racing. It <laughs> had everything to do with people in electrics, but nothing to do with people in racing. 
But you, you hang on, you were, the, you, you were driving at this time as well, weren't you? Right, right. I was there at the event doing taxi laps, actually, in uh, BMW i3. No, not i3. I, I, what's the bigger one? The 8, I guess. i8, yes. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. Um, the i8, which was quite a fun experience, uh, driving through Zurich with 180 or whatever it went. It was quite cool. Um, I was like, <laughs> never, never be able to do that again, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, once in a lifetime for sure, and and also the event. I you know, I think it was like uh, one hundred fifty thousand people coming, so like a huge thing. I didn't expect that. Um, obviously, it was already criticized in the beginning, and you know, I I found it a bit weird that uh, we can have a, a race with electric cars, but none of the others. Um, but at the end, I still appreciate it because it sort of brought people back a bit to that whole racing thing and you know showed them that the law maybe is not uh, shouldn't be there anymore you know and I, I i thought like it helped in that sense but yeah apparently i was wrong because uh, even though it was electric people didn't like it too much well i mean they had that you know that big sort of problem with traffic and, and you know i mean it's, it's, it's sort of the usual usual crew people are just not happy about anything you know But I do find it amazing, you know, that they will host like a marathon, which, you know, brings nothing to anybody else apart from <laughs> the people doing the marathon. Um, and, or like the Iron Man or something like that, right? Um, <laughs> um, but then you have, you know, then you have uh, this electric thing and you're like, okay, it's, you know, it's part of, you know, an entire circuit. And, you know, people are like, no, 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 we don't want this, you know. And I always thought it would just be a, because, of, you know, normal race cars are way too loud, right? So I thought that's why they wouldn't want something like that in town. Actually, it depends, you know, if I look at modern race cars like GT3s with silencers and the way you have to run them, it's not that loud anymore, you know. It's it's almost, apart from, you know, outside Europe, uh, some places, uh, it's become quite sensible, you know. Even, even the race cars have to be somewhat silent these days and especially with the turbo technologies, it, it gets less aggressive anyways but this is know? the other thing that a lot of people simply don't realize they think oh my god you know the race car is so loud you know and, and you know our ears are going to bleed and you know this kind of nonsense but the you know the the rolling sound of a tire is already like it's it's, it's like 90 of the entire sound yeah you know I, I, so you absolutely. take away the engine sound and then you you know it just sounds like a some elevator going around in circles yeah you know? if you ever stand to a highway and uh, you realize you don't hear any engine sound you just hear tires right yeah tires yeah, yeah. and the the wind being uh, the the air being moved basically yeah. you know yeah air resistance have, have you done any racing in, in, in with electric cars uh <laughs> mm, are you allowed to speak about it yeah, as, yeah. as far as i know not not so. not like <laughs> Probably not on a professional level. It was more like a, a project kind of thing back at the university mm -hmm. where they built this Formula Student, like the first electric race cars actually that you can think of. Um, that was quite some while ago, I think 2011 to 14, something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically like a go-kart from the size, but it's a, a fully built race car with a carbon monocoque and that kind of thing. So that was quite uh, impressive, actually, you know, especially the, the latest version. I think they did a world record in acceleration, 1.7 seconds from 0 to 100 or something like that. This isn't one of those, like, marketing techniques that, you know, electric cars use. Yeah, for sure it is, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it was still impressive, you know. Uh, the world record they didn't do with me, I was too heavy. <laughs> so they put a 40-kilo girl in it or something. <laughs> 
but uh, <laughs> but uh, in the test runs I, I i got to i got to drive it and you know it it was the acceleration was in such a way that you barely can breathe you know yeah. so that is about the only thing i found really impressive about it you know the rest honestly i'm you know i'm not really convinced overall i'm not either and and, and i've i sort of dug around a little bit to work out why you know they want to do these formerly e for example in in uh, in towns and stuff like that and what what realized what i ended up realizing was that they really struggle to get or it's nearly impossible to get an electric car to complete you know a single lap of of uh, of a normal circuit right because it's mainly the long straights so that sort of continuous power uh, you know full like 100% power for extended amounts of times simply can't handle it i think at that point you just need to realize that you know the, the cars being built for the street they were mainly built to impress in for at first you know and and so they were built in a way that you cannot do certain laps on on that performance level it's it's simply not going to make it right it, it was all about the numbers to to first impress the people try to convince them about it and i think if you would Go, go like with a normal approach you would have to reduce a lot of power and it would just not be as spectacular and maybe even though you had a wider range probably people wouldn't be excited about it you know so i understand that kind of way they went first you know to to, to uh, attract people with numbers you know with crazy accelerations and that kind of things we can pull down you know the acceleration times tremendously but i just wonder how long that's you know that's going to be a novelty for you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's, there's going to be a limited amount of, of fun to be had in there. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's simply I, I can't do these, you know, these kind of journeys um, that I would, would would normally do in, in, in an electric car. It's simply not going to happen. So I'm, I'm not super convinced about electric cars necessarily being the future. Um, I always opted out more for something like the hydrogen engine. Um I think it's a combination, no? There's not like that one solution uh, for whatever the purpose is, after mm. all. Um, but in in any way, I think if everything runs on the same technology, there will always be a problem with, with resources. You know, it's just too many cars and people, right? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not against uh, electric cars, for sure not. But for me, it's definitely not the, the end solution. Okay. Anything you think that might might, might work? Uh, coming forward yeah i mean uh, i'm quite uh, i think what's very interesting is this uh the fuels they're researching right now like this uh zero emission fuels or however it's called zero um, emission fuels yeah it's like this um synthetic fuels or something like that that don't have any uh, any uh carbon dioxide um also hydrogen which was basically what i did in my in my engineering studies back in the in the bachelor thesis which has some quite uh, interesting, you know, sort of angles to look at it. But again, none of it I see as the, the end solution. So in the end, it's about combining the technologies. And I think uh, Mario Ilian, the, the famous engine uh, um, constructor from, from Formula One, he once told me that, you know, like the most efficient thing would actually be uh, an electric car powered by a diesel generator like 
I mean, I'm assuming that's how it works. I mean, you the, know? the electricity has to get into the battery. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> it, was, it was something like that. I don't remember exactly, like in a parallel way or whatever it was. And it was quite interesting because it was at the time where they banned all the diesel cars, right? <laughs> so in the end, uh, I think this will just go around and around. And in the end, you know, we will somewhat, somehow end up with a, with a mix of everything. I mean, I just, you know, I've recently bought a BMW diesel car and I have to say the performance is extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I would really struggle to, to replace that as this kind of, you know, long haul car where I can load everybody in plus, you know, luggage. It's amazing. And get around Europe, you know, on basically a single tank of gasoline yeah, or diesel rather. It's amazing. And I mean, also drive drivability, you know. Incredible. I, Incredible. I can't tell most of the modern diesel cars, I can't tell anymore really if it's a diesel or a fuel car, if you don't look like at the ref limiter, mm. uh, the ref indication. Well, I mean, the that's sound the, that was the, the only behavior, yeah. everything. It's more like a, a, fu a fuel powered car. Yeah, I mean, that was the only get giveaway I had with, uh, with the BMW. See, BMW thought that, um, I mean, they all struggled to get the sound out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're not allowed to anymore. So they, they find interesting ways to do it. And BMW p pumps the sound uh, through the speakers, right? Um, and they give you, you know, this kind of beautiful sound that comes through it. But what they didn't realize was that it's a diesel. Instead of, you know, 4,500 RPM, it cuts off. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think they match that properly. So you, have, you end up with this really unusual thing where you think, right, I've got much more, you know, uh, much more to go on the rev range um, because of the sound. And so that isn't fully there yet. Right? But do you think that all the modern diesel cars, are they, they do have this sound system internally or is it actual that the sound improved? I, you know what? I don't. I, I don't know if I've really heard like a, a great diesel-sounding engine. I mean, maybe not from the outside. That's for sure. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, not from the outside. Certainly not. You know. <clears throat> I mean, you had <clears throat> occasionally, you know, these sort of V8s that they put into uh, Land Rovers or Hummers or whatever have you that uh -huh. had that sort of grunty feel. But in general, they do sound a bit. I don't know, a bit ticky, right? They always take a little mm -hmm. you know, way too much yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, they don't really make any sound, but turbocharging is doing the same, right? I mean, that's the only—that's another thing I don't really enjoy, right? So you put all these turbochargers on it, and they don't really produce any sound mm. anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's and true. the car manufacturers maintain that you know the cars are so well built um, that it would be very difficult to bring them out anyways, right? And um, it seems to be the new thing that you know, as a civil, you know, as a society, the, the biggest killer now is is, is not noisy cars, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, but I've yet to find a diesel that really noise? sounds that great. Yeah. We're gonna it's miss music. the noise. It's We're music. gonna miss the noise. I mean, that is that was gonna be one of my questions. Like, you know, when it when the future comes, you know, when it finally arrives that we can't, you know, drive the cars or I don't know what we're supposed to do with them. But what are you gonna miss? Well, I think it comes back to what what the what the ideal car is to me, you know, and and that sound certainly is one of the main uh, topics around it. You know, I mean, I think you love your car if you first of all if you park it and you walk away and you look back at it. That's, That's one very thing, romantic. right? Because <laughs> it, it, you romantic. like to look at it. You know, you love a car if you if you like to look at it, like you can't get enough. Um, if you like to drive it, obviously, if it gives you a lot of satisfaction driving. And the sound, of course, is a big part of that, you know. Um, like, for example, uh, I still own a, a motorcycle, a 600, which I haven't used for like three years because I'm not supposed to drive it because I could injure myself and so on. Um, 
but sometimes I just I just take it for a little spin just for the sake of sound you know because these things sound so nice and I can't get rid of it because I, I am actually absolutely addicted to the sound of it you know and, and it's sort of it goes on to to cars obviously I mean you have to distinguish between a daily car uh, for sure maybe that that you just you know use day in day out it, it's not that much important but if you take a car purely for for the purpose of fun the sound is absolutely uh, essential you know and, and that's where I struggle a lot with with electric cars to be honest you know because you hear the gearbox well great it's an ugly noise do they even have a gearbox I'm so confused uh, yeah, the transmission at least you oh, know right, right, okay. it depends on, on the car obviously but Ah, or you hear the tires screaming, you know, on, on the braking. It's just, it's just not nice, you know. Or, or wind noise. Wind noise seems to be a big thing with yeah. electric cars. It's not the end of the world, but uh, especially for a daily. But it's just an element that, to me, somehow is really important. And I know I'm kind of a dinosaur in that uh, that that regard for sure. I, I just there's no there's no feeling, right? It's um, I mean, and you must have this, for example, you know, being um, being into racing, and I had this for a long, long time. Is this idea, you know, that you buy cars according to the numbers, you know, it's like, oh my God, there's so much horsepower and oh my God, there's so much torque and it's, you know, it's the fastest and this and that. But what they don't really tell you is those numbers not really adding up to anything, right? And, and now you have this unusual thing, you know, where a lot of electric drivers, you know, they have that you know acceleration kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's all they have you know? <laughs> so. um, I, don't, I don't think that um, I'm not sure that's the way that I would compete about it. You know, they're always like, it's no. much more power, uh, much more efficiency. Um, and I think maybe if they, you know, if, if it was sort of modeled in a different way, then perhaps it'd be a lot more interesting. Now, the, the number game was, was, I was never really into, to be honest, because, mm. because in the end it's a package. You know, you have like cars that on the number side are, are promising a lot. And you think like, wow. And the minute you try it, you're like super disappointed because the brakes are worth nothing, you know, or the suspension is just a disaster or whatever. And there was one one good example actually on that side, you know, uh, going back to the Porsche topic, um, you know, like the GT3 RS is, is a great car, right? Even though it's based on the completely wrong concept, it's still a great car. And then you is take it a the, good road car though? Yeah, it, road I car. Think it, yeah, it's definitely sort of this vibe that also you, like you would buy a Lotus, right? You don't buy a Lotus as a daily. You want to have this feeling of like this raw sort of, you know, you want to hear the, the gearbox uh, and and the engine noise and all these mechanical things. And if you like that, yes, um, but it's definitely more a, more a track day car, or more a sporty car, I would say. But the funny thing is going back to the numbers that if you look at the GT2 RS, which was so hyped, you know, and ah, it's got a turbo and it extracts so much more power and all these kind of things. And then you drive it on a track and you realize it's not nice to drive, you know, because on the track. It, it's got too much power and it's got too good brakes mm -hmm. and the tires can't handle it anymore. Right. And it's just not fun. You know, the package is unbalanced. And so you would rather take the GT3 actually, which, which is funny, I think. And one of the things I always find is, uh, is particularly in this, in this kind of aspect, you know, is that people think that they want uh, a racing car for the road, right? And I'm, you know, I've been down this path as well, where you think, right, well, you know, I have to have this, you know, race car for the road, when in reality is, that's not exactly what you don't want, <laughs> like, realistically. And yeah, the, the, yeah. 
you know, like the 911 GT3 RS and that, uh, you know, their target or people who can afford them tend to be a little bit, you know, getting on a bit. And you see them sometimes, you know, driving over bumps and stuff and you think, God, this, you know, this poor old gentleman, like his head's going to come off, you know, like driving this thing around. Um, and it's simply because you want to have like, you know, you want to have the race car for the road. But again, it's, it's a big misconception. Like, you it's know, a dentist that, car, no? It's a typical dentist car. It's like the, the first... That's a Porsche Boxer. Porsche Boxer is the dentist car. <laughs> it's like the first nice sportive car you would imagine as, as somebody that has nothing to do with cars. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that, that's my view. Yeah, I mean, probably, it's, you know, they're bought primarily on, you know, on, on this kind of figure basis, right? It's more about the figures than, than the emotional side of things, right? Um, but, I mean, you know, I've, you know, I've got a GT3 race car. And the last thing I would want to do is like bring that anywhere near a road. I mean, no, I just I can't sure. think of anything worse. You know, For it's sure. too loud, it's too wide, it's it's super uncomfortable. And uh, and the, the the idea of like you know starting this thing up to go to work is like forget about it. You know, <laughs> absolutely, it's never gonna absolutely, happen. it's definitely not what it's made for. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes you rea realize if you go back on a paddock which is not as flat as a racetrack, which is a bit bumpy. Mm -hmm you realize immediately like how uncomfortable it would be you know like just it's not even like a road that that we're used to but just a bit more bumpy and and on the other side if you take a, a street car with normal suspension to track you almost feel like you roll over right because there's right, so right. much movement <laughs> too in much it. lean yeah. <laughs> yeah too much lean i've been with the g-class on the racetrack and i promise you i'll never do that shit again <laughs> um it was a long long time ago um, where you know this sort of uh, traction control wasn't as aggressive as it is now because uh -huh. I think they realized that's what the problem was and it was exactly the thing I mean you, you have this feeling like oh my god this thing is it's just going to flip you know um, and of course with the old cars you have the same kind of feeling um, so uh, we like to tinker a little bit with, with, with the suspension to get that a bit more form but the other the, again the other misconception is exactly that you know like you see this in a lot of new cars they have the sports button which firms up the suspension to you don't need that for the road you absolutely don't and you think all right you know it's raining and all this crap and you think well it makes it even worse you know like you you want to have a little bit of a, a softer a softer setup for these kind fair of enough, things right yeah fair enough i mean the only reason i use this sport button is for the sound eventually absolutely right absolutely. so i don't really care if it's a bit stiff or whatever again that's a number game i think I think it's a number game as well. I'm not sure it's making a big difference, even if you take it on the track, you know? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's making a difference no, at all. No, you still feel like you roll. But yeah. I guess it is, you know, the idea that, you know, you've pushed something and now... You remember the movie Taxi, you know, how it just completely mm -hmm. transforms a car. And you, for sure, I mean, it's an emotional thing. And um, it probably is for somebody a bit younger than myself. But I guess by this point, I just... I can't. Why don't they just set up the car? Why do I have to, you know... You guys are the experts. You know, you get into BMW and like the customization things are just endless and endless and endless. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, you know, why didn't you guys set it up? You know, and just <laughs> you have to keep in mind that, of course, um, not many people are privileged to to experience a race car, right? So, I think in that sense, it's it's quite a difference, you know. And if you like sportive driving, I sort of get it uh, where where that comes from, right? But I mean, can you adjust any of those parameters on a racetrack, on a race car? No, it's just Again, it's like for a completely different purpose. And it, it, uh, I think it puts a new perspective on everything af after you've driven a car like that, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's the braking, like you mentioned, 
or, or the suspension or whatever have you. Because, I mean, like carbon ceramic brakes, they managed to sell you know, thousands and thousands and thousands also of these a great things. Thing. Based on the idea that, you know, it's a development from the track, you know, and it's, it's you know, the ultimate thing. And, and, and you no, that's not the case. That's <laughs> simply not the case. Because, I mean, the GT3 series, you're still using steel brakes, right? Right, and, right. Um, and I mean, they don't want to put carbon in there for price reasons, and obviously because there's different, you know. It would be another candidate for like the most pointless uh, carbon you know, ceramic brakes. Sort of uh, up upgrade that that came in the recent years, you know, because especially on the road, there's like absolutely no point for it. You never get into the into the heat zone in terms of <laughs> you never get the brakes to that temperature where they actually have a benefit. In fact, it's the opposite. If they're not in a sort of heat range they should be, they can be worse if they're cold, you know, than, than steel brakes. So it, it's it's really just this uh, thing like you think you're buying something really cool and I think it's just marketing and, you know. I mean, they look cool, definitely. I agree on that. They do look good. They look super cool. They but look the, the sort of cost regarding to benefit uh, in relation to benefit is like out of out of this world I think the best thing you, that they could probably do to, to prove that is like you know have a car with carbon ceramic brakes and, and put it through a car wash right yeah that's how they should sell them and then see how many people really want that because um, one of the worst accidents I had, I nearly had uh, in my life was, was a result of that because you did, I didn't think about it you know you come out of a car wash and the brakes are nowhere near the temperature range and you just drive on like normal and it's um, uh, the brakes it's not like they perform uh, you know, as if they would just be cold. No, no, they they, they perform much worse. Yeah, you know? exactly, <laughs> this is like exactly, the complete yeah. opposite side, and uh, and you don't expect that. You know, mm. you have these modern cars; they're so uh, dulled down, um, and you think, right, it'll stop, and it doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> and you end up doing an evasive movement. You know, uh, in a fifty zone with a huge Bentley, you know, onto onto a sidewalk because the brakes, you know, can't stop you in time for for. I mean, it's crazy completely crazy yeah it's it's definitely yeah it's more sort of from the number number game side it is a number game thing yeah Yeah, but I mean on a track day uh, that's pretty nice after a few laps once they get temperature but then again, you have to redo them after a day, you know, and you the have cost to redo them. is that was, This was another thing, right? I went to went to track day and a guy showed up with uh, well, probably a Porsche 911 GT3. Um, of course, everybody has a Porsche 911 GT3 on the track day. Um, and he had steel brakes on the car and I asked him, you know, didn't you opt out for the carbon package? And he said, well, I did. And I did it one track day and then they completely burnt out. And then I sent it back to Porsche and Porsche was like, no, no. You need the steel brakes, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I, I, eventually, I just lost the understanding for for having this kind of thing to begin with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of one of the coaching clients, he he bought the Ferrari Challenge, mm-hmm. which originally comes with the ceramic brakes. And the first thing we did was order steel brakes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that's really what we did because uh, to make things worse, this car has sort of an ESP as well which works only on the rear axle, or I think even the traction control is sort of working through the brakes, some weird stuff like that. And, you know, it's eating brakes like crazy in mm-hmm. the rear. So first thing we did was order steel brakes, you know, and they we're perfectly happy with that. So we're soon arriving to the end of, of our podcast, but is there something that you'd like to ask me in front of 
whoever's watching. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first car? Christ. The first car I had, or the first car I bought with my own money was a, I bought a Golf uh, R32, so the, the V6. Nice. Um, and I, I, I have to say, it's probably the car I regret selling the most because um, there was something about it. It was, it, was, uh-huh. it was quite pure. And I always liked the Golf. There was something brilliant about it. It's, to me, the standard um, as, as a car. And anything above the golf is, is like a plus, and anything under that is, is, is not a plus. Right? <laughs> um, but that one was particularly nice. It consumed gasoline at a tremendous rate, um, but it was it was a great car. And I, I sold it because I, I thought you know there must be something better out. And sure enough, around about this time, turbocharging became the new hype again, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. all the emotion was gone for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the last things I asked you uh, to do was uh, to please bring me something. Um, that we could share with with you know the people here. So we have you know in the car barn an area where I ask people to bring stuff in, um, and I thought it would be quite funny if you bring something for me and I would bring something for you, and we'd let them um, sit together. So would you like me to start, or would you like to start? I don't mind. I can start. Please yeah. go ahead. Yeah. I decided to bring two things. Start oh, shoes. With. No, 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 no shoes. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the helmet's fine, but no shoes. Jeez. Wait, wait, wait. You have to hear the story behind it. So that's the basically the helmet I, I've, I used in my, in my first karting race. So as you can see, it's like a, a motorcycle helmet. So it's, it wasn't like one of the proper ones, but uh, I still took the time together with my dad to paint it um, from the design of my idol from Ayrton Senna. And, uh, you know, I, that's uh, the helmet I did my first races with. And um, moreover, it was also my helmet to go to school, like on the motorcycle. So everybody really knew me for that, having this having this helmet and, you know, driving somewhat back at night through the city sometimes or whatever have you. So it had a, had a lot of, you know, memories. You can see it's been fixed a, a couple of times. And yeah, just, just a lot of history. And I thought it, it will find a great great spot here in, in the car barn that's absolutely brilliant also that's wrote something on it for oh my god it's uh, the first petrosexual episode <laughs> yeah, exactly. thank you for having me oh that's really super honored sweet. Uh, to be your first guest uh, thank you so much thank and, you so much uh, to add a bit more like from the racing side these were the the shoes i wore when i won my first f3 race um, which was like one of the milestones in in the early career um, I still have them for, for some reason. I can't use it anymore, but I think they fit here perfectly. So. It's time to pass them on to me. You're right. giving me shoes. <laughs> old, old, dirty shoes. They're the same size, so go for it if you like. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I also have one, uh, two things for you as well, which I know you know, um, but one of them is, is, is this. This is a, ah. a, a trophy that... Um, that I won at uh, Le Castellet on the 13th of April 2019 in a GT3 car. I came second and uh, my teammate, uh, well, happened to be you. Right? So, <laughs> great <laughs> so memory, that, great memory. Uh, that was a great memory. We had a great start to the season. <clears throat> and, um, and I thought, you know, that's probably as far as I was going to get uh, uh, driving-wise. But it turned out a few months later, we ended up in Portimao and we ended up on the podium <laughs> once again. Um, and so there you go. It's a uh, third position. Brilliant so, driving from you there. Oh my very, God! No, I was very, very lucky. I was, I was very thankful to have you as a as a as a, um, as a co-pilot, uh, as a friend, as a teammate. 
um, and now is my first you know subject on on, on cars and I think that's brilliant <clears throat> and um, all of this stuff will go down together uh, onto our shelving nice and um, fits well fits thank well you thank you so so much Yannick for that um, and obviously the last thing I must do since we've been drinking um, I must confiscate your car keys okay and also with <laughs> my car keys as well so, I wasn't um, gonna drive home anytime soon anyway but you can, you can come pick up the car tomorrow so there's a little tray in the middle and that's for you you can do that and that's mine and uh, we can continue safety to have first. Um, safety first we can continue to have a drink and uh, continue the chats and um, yeah I look forward to the next time thanks a lot and, for uh, having me it was a pleasure <laughs> 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 thanks very much <laughs>